0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 21st, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court today affirmed that unions cannot simply take money from non-union members and then use those funds to advance certain political activity. Trevor Burris, a legal associate at the Cato Institute, comments on the case of Knox v. SEIU. Everyone in this case points to uh, Sunstein and Thaler on libertarian paternalism and talking about this idea of consent. And I think a lot of people try to come up with a good proxy for consent when it comes to uh, opting into a system in which your union dues will be used for political activity or opting out of a system in which your union dues or payments that you make to your union will be used for uh, political activity. What does this case say about that notion of consent?
1: Well, it says pretty clearly that opting in is pretty much required at least in this one area. It didn't say that opting in is required totally, but just in this one area. And so on that Sunstein-Thaler kind of nudge thing, well, we all know this, right? We know that that's why you don't have to write one check to the IRS every year they take it out slowly over the course of the year because otherwise you wouldn't be able to tax people as much. There's all these little things that work that way. And for a long time, having people only opting out of political advocacy. These are non-union members, remember. These are people who do not want to be in the union. And the opting out procedure was in many ways just presuming that they, they agreed with the union's political advocacy except for going through this procedure of filling out a form and objecting and getting a refund and all the things. And if they didn't do that, which of course people may not have time and may not want to go through it, then it was presumed that they agree with the union political advocacy. And that just doesn't make any sense.
0: They're trying to put the burden essentially on the people who have expressed that they do not want to participate in the union, uh, putting some burden on them to either just pay the fee or actively say, I do not want to pay this fee, otherwise it would get paid uh, automatically. The union itself never said that this fee was explicitly not going to go to political activity. So it's clear that by allowing that money to flow without some sort of affirmative opt-out, that it would be going to political activity. Oh,
1: absolutely. They they totally said it would. They what What happened in this case was that they created a new a new taking from the people, from the union members and the non-union members, to fight two specific California propositions that were going to curtail union rights. The real irony there—and everyone knew that. That's what they were going to do it for. The real irony is one of those propositions, Proposition 75, would have given non-members more rights to exempt themselves from unions' political spending without affirmative consent, basically what the Supreme Court did. So what the union did was it took money from them to use on a political campaign that would restrict their own rights. And that's sort of ridiculous.
0: Citizens United is implicated here a little bit, Uh, not in terms of the violation of rights of the non-union members, but uh, the idea that Citizens United opened up the playing field of political advocacy to unions and corporations. Uh, What do people argue about how that uh, it plays out in this case.
1: Well, it's very important to remember, as you point out, that unions got the right to speak from their general funds, just like corporations did in Citizens United case, independent expenditures on elections. And this is about how they get their money. So this is about how the unions get that money that they can then spend to advocate independently for candidates or ballot measures or whatever. And uh, in and so the analogy for corporations would probably be if a corporation could make you buy their product and then use that money that you gave them to spend on speech that you may disagree with. That's kind of the analogy here. And so it's it, unions definitely have the right to speak, just like corporations do, just like you know, everyone does, uh, legal, legal persons do. Uh, this is just how they got their money.
0: Now, one of the things here is that the... Uh, Advocacy is one of the one of the problems here, that is to say, you are being compelled to support speech that you may disagree with, and SEIU made no claim that that was not going to be the case. If we entered a world where money is explicitly not and cannot be construed as uh, being used as an expression under the First Amendment, does this case Exist or do the non-union members have a claim that their rights are being violated?
1: Uh, probably not. It would if if money was not speech, and of course you have to work out exactly what that means. But if money was not speech, that would mean that uh, unions and and lawmakers uh, and the laws that the unions operate under they, that they they could. Um, restrict things indirectly, money indirectly or directly, that was going to be used explicitly for political advocacy and the First Amendment wouldn't be implicated at all. So without money being speech, the First Amendment wouldn't really apply here, probably.
0: Trevor Burris is a legal associate at the Cato Institute. You can read Cato's extensive library of legal briefs on pending cases at our website, cato.org.